Thanks so much. Had the incredible privilege to spend some time with the young guys just at your youth camp, which is great. I had a great time down there. Um, well, I had fun. I don't know if they did. I had some fun. Um, and then uh, this morning, we did preach both services here this morning. And uh, so it's been a busy full weekend for us as a family. Um, and, and this morning was particularly interesting because, <clears throat> I mean, it was a bit short notice. I only found out Friday that I was preaching today. And uh, so it was a bit short notice. And, and um, I don't know if you were here this morning or not, but it was, for me, it was a really good space. It just worked well, got lots of great feedback, lots of response, God ministered on people. It was just a really healthy space. Um, and, and I got incredible feedback. So, you know, you know, always when you preach, somebody always tells you, hey, good job, good job. Somebody always tells you that, right? And you learn after you've preached a number of years, you realize you appreciate the feedback, but most of it, not to be mean, but doesn't count for a whole lot, you know? <laughs> because everybody's just trying to encourage you, well done. Like, you could be terrible up here and be like, good job, good job, you know? Which I appreciate. I appreciate the heart behind that. But, but, uh, but always looking for, I'm always looking for like uh, feedbacks that help me become better in things. And I got some feedback from people this morning that I, I do esteem, that I value a lot their credibility and who they are as people and what they listen for. And probably some of the best feedback I've ever got, just really encouraging. And feedback when I say, basically, like a friend of mine came and said, Adam, it was one of the top three preachers you've ever done. I was like, sheesh, I was honored by that. The problem comes when you're preaching later on. Now you're preaching tonight, you just had a mate say, Adam was the, it's one of the top three preachers I've ever heard you do, and you go, oh great, what are you going to do tonight, buddy? You know? <laughs> if you're not careful, you can fall into a performance thing. It's easy. I've got to work something up and do something big tonight, and, and fear starts to drive your decisions for what you're going to preach tonight versus what the Father's saying. And so we had a, a birthday, my mother-in-law's birthday lunch this afternoon. We did the birthday thing, and we hung around for a while, and then we finally got home at about three, and have to leave home for about, about 4.30 to come here, and you got about an hour or so, just kind of get your head right and go, okay, what are we doing tonight, Father? I've got some stuff ready, but what are, what are we really doing here? What are we really doing? And I know, it's my, it's, I've just my conditioned myself over the years, I guess, that when I'm afraid and I want to do something safe, I must go big. <laughs> go big or go home. Either we're going we're gonna to blow it properly tonight, okay, and I'm going to make a proper idiot myself tonight, or God's going to do something amazing. One or the other. I don't know which it is, okay? And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I don't have to perform for you or anybody else. I just get to be a son, and I get to have some fun up here tonight. So we're going to carry you on a bit of a journey. We're going to carry you on a, a journey of three stories in the Scripture, three stories which you wouldn't necessarily maybe put together, but what I'm learning as I'm reading Scripture and studying Scripture, well on 35 years or so now at least, um, last 20 years really giving myself to it, I'm learning that, that the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. It contains rules and regulations, but that's not what it is. It also is not a science book, nor is it actually a history book. It's actually a book of wisdom. Wisdom of the Father. And he's trying to tell us things to help us move in our life today so we encounter him more, and as we spoke about this morning, we restore the world around us. That's ultimately what he's trying to do. He wants more of heaven here. That's kind of the big plan and big purpose, okay? And so as you read the scripture, I'm calling, now looking for this, these wisdom spaces. What are you saying through these various stories? And this first story I want to start with is actually over in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. It's uh, the story of Jesus and the fig tree. You may know it. Basically, uh, it's early in the morning and Jesus is with the disciples and Jesus is heading to the temple, okay? Jesus is heading to the power center of the Jewish universe, okay? 
It is where the spiritual leadership and authority of the Jewish culture resides. When the priests speak, people listen and respond. Okay, that's where he's going. And he's basically going to the temple to, to tell them they really don't matter that much. Okay, that's his mission. That's what he's on the way to do. The disciples don't know this. Nobody knows it except for him. And this is what happens on the way to the temple. In the morning, as he was returning to the city on the way to the temple, he became hungry, meaning Jesus. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered and died at once. And he moved on. You think, okay, well, what's the point of that? Poor tree. The poor tree didn't do anything to you. Why would Jesus, loving, gentle, kind, loving Jesus, mercy and grace, why would he kill a fig tree for, you know? All the tree huggers are really offended right now. Why would Jesus destroy a fig tree just because it had some fruit on it? Maybe it wasn't the right season yet. Maybe it wasn't the right time yet. Maybe it needed a bit more water. Maybe somebody didn't care and love it properly and it would produce fruit. Why would he take it out on a fig tree? It was kind of as though he was staking a flag in the sand. Because a fig tree at this time during Jewish culture was a symbol of the spiritual authority and leadership of the priest in the temple. The fig tree was their authority. The fig tree was their spiritual leadership. Matter of fact, you go way back in, in, in the Old Testament, you see that, that some, there was actually a, a, a branch, a fig tree branch that was carried around for a long time as a symbol of authority. This fig tree carried authority. And Jesus was coming to the fig tree the spiritual authority of that time looking for sustenance, looking for food, looking for a life, and it had no life in it. And so he cursed it so it would die. The tree was a picture of the system which no longer carried life for the people. The tree was a picture of the system that no longer carried any life for the people involved in it. No longer had the life of God, life of Father flowing through it. It's time for this thing to be taken down. If you continue to read the story, he goes on into the city. Soon as he goes into the temple, the Pharisees and scribes ask him a question. By whose authority do you think you're here, Jack? (laughs) And he looked back at him and he said this. I love Jesus. He's just so great. And Jesus answered them. I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I saw will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or man? And they discussed it among themselves. Imagine, oh my goodness, that's a good question. And they discussed it among themselves. And they say, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if he says from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. (laughs) Basically, you no longer matter. That's what he said to them. Now, how would that fly, you think about today? How would that work in a modern culture? You walk into the authority of a nation. The leadership of a nation, effectively, and go, you know what? You no longer matter in this picture. We're doing a new thing here. That's called a revolution in most countries. <laughs> That's called a coup in a lot of places, right? <laughs> so there we have the first story of Jesus saying a religious system no longer brings life. 
Let's move on to the second story. The second story is found in um, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, when we go through this story, there is a possibility you will no longer like me. Okay. Because this, if you have a religious bone somewhere in your body, this will offend you. I promise you. Okay. And this is in the Bible. It wasn't Adam, just by the way. Just point that out, okay? <clears throat> in Kings, 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. He was basically a general in the army. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So here's this general in the army. Mighty man of valor, highly respected, but he had leper. Leprosy. He's now in the house of his Lord. As he's in the house of his Lord, this little girl that they had captured from Israel was in the house as a servant, as a slave. She sees he has leprosy and says, you should go to the prophet in Samaria and he can heal you. Why was he wondering those things? Because the God of the Amorites, Amram, couldn't heal him. Now during this time, Gods were, very seen, were seen very locally. So this, this group of people had this God, and this group of people had this God, and this group of people had this God, right? And so what he's saying is, in, the city of, in this town of Amram, in this region of Amram, their God was named Rimron, Rimron. <laughs> he couldn't heal him. And so the little slave girl, the Israeli slave, little tiny girl, speaking to the general, going, hey, you, you should go see the prophet in Samaria, and he can heal you. So Nahum goes and has a conversation with his master, with the Lord of the house, with the Lord of the region. Says, hey, this little girl says this and this and this. Can I take some money and some treasures and some gifts? And can I go over? Can you send me to the king of Israel? And there I can get healed. This king says, great, go do it. Take the money with. They go over to Israel, speak to the king with a letter. The king says, what is this? Do you think I'm God? You're gonna pay me and somehow you're gonna get healed here? What, do I mean, you think I'm God? But the prophet Elisha hears about this and tells him, hey, no, send him to me. God will heal him. So the general now goes to see prophet Elisha. As he goes to see prophet Elisha, he comes outside the door, knocks on the door. Here's the general, the commander of the army of Amram. He's a man of valor, of victory, authority, power. Knocks on the door to see the prophet Elisha for healing. The prophet doesn't even leave his chair. He doesn't even open the door. He says, ah, tell him to go away and dip himself in the river seven times and be healed and cleaned. Nahum's like, what? Do you know who I am? Do you know how far I've come? Do you know that I am a general in the army? How dare you not come and see me? He leaves angry, it says. Mad that the prophet won't see him. His servants come and say, hey, but it's a good word the prophet gave to you. You should really do what he says. So eventually, Nahum says, fine, why not? Might as well give a shot. So he goes and dips himself in the river seven times. Ding, 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 ding. Seven times, comes back, healed. He comes back to Elisha and he says this. In this matter, may the Lord pardon you. So, sorry, sorry, verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, behold, I know that there is a God in all the earth, but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servants. So what he just said, that's, you gotta understand the, the, the mind shift that just happened in that moment. His version of God's are very local. 
A God lives here in Emram. A God lives here in Israel. A God lives here in wherever. But he came and said to Elisha, now I know I've been healed. This God is not the God of Israel. This God is the God of all the earth. A conversion has just happened. A conversion has just happened. And he debates a bit with Elisha, wanting to give Elisha some gifts, some money. Elisha, no, no, I don't want to give you money. I don't want your money. I don't want your gifts. No, no, really take them. No, no, I don't. No, really, no. And they had this big debate. Eventually he settles he's not going to take any gifts. And this is what he says. As he's parting Elisha's house, he says this. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house, in other words, the general says, when his master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. What do you think Elisha would have told him in that moment? What would you and I in modern day Christianity have told him? No, no, you must stand for Jesus, but you cannot bow to that place. You return or burn, but that's the way it works around here. You stand for Jesus and he'll stand for you. You confess him for others and you'll confess him. You better stand up. You better get some backbone in yourself, boy. This is Jesus we're talking about. Don't you bow to another thing. How de- you don't bow and cower to any other religion. There is no God but Jesus. Get on with it, buddy. Suck it up. Sometimes you've got to make a tough decision. You've got to stand for what's right and get on with it. I've heard a lot of talk like that. But this is what Elisha says. Elisha says, go in peace. Go in shalom. Shalom meaning holistic, whole, complete, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Go and be wholeness to those people. Because he knew when, when, when this general, when this Nahum gets back in his country, he may go and have to go into the temple with his master, but they will see he has been cleaned and healed by the God of the earth. And a testimony goes back. And the testimony is linked to a little girl as a slave. A religious system does not bring life. A religious system doesn't bring life. There are difficult situations in life. There are gray areas. There are areas which aren't black and white, up and down, right and left. There are areas which don't seem right and wrong in life. How much do we trust the people that God is ministering to to go and carry that grace? Without putting bondage of rules and regulations, a system which kills the life that God is trying to give. But there's still a third story. Third story is Matthew chapter 7. Going back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them under the foot and turn to attack you. Interesting passage, that. (laughs) Don't throw your pearls in front of the pigs. That's probably not the first thought I had when I see pigs, right? I grew up in the South. I, I remember going to my Uncle Fernie's house. That's right, my Uncle Fernie, okay? And my Aunt Thelma, okay? I'm dead serious. And she had a big spittang, a big coffee can about this thick, half full of spit all the time. From spitting and chewing tobacco, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. And my Uncle Fernie, all, he had bees, he had cows, he had chickens, he had goats, he had pigs. 
They were completely self-sufficient. Anytime we went to Uncle Fernie and Aunt Thelma's house, it was a dark stained wood floor, beautiful. And it wasn't from stain, it was from dirt. <laughs> Years of just wearing. There's no beautiful stains and hardwood floors. Oh, they shine. No, they're dull, black, full of dirt. Okay, from years living in this old farmhouse. In the kitchen, there was a wood stove that was always on, always stoked, always full, always going. There was an electric stove over there, and as Aunt Thelma in her big flowery dress always used to say, that thing ain't good for nothing but warming food up. <laughs> she only would cook on the wood stove. She only would cook on the wood stove. There's my Aunt Thelma and Uncle Fernie. Pigs outside. I would remember going out to the play with those pigs and mess around with those pigs, and never once did I ever, ever hear my Aunt, my Aunt Thelma or Uncle Fernie say, hey, don't throw the pearls in front of the pigs, guys, okay? Like I'm going to go grab my mom's necklace. Hey, here, picky, picky, woo-hoo, woo-hoo, picky, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Have you ever thought about that? Don't throw, we say, yes, no, he's talking about the wisdom of the Father throwing in front of the pigs and all that. What's, your, what's really going on there? Well, let's look at the context of the Scripture. Let's look at the passage there a little bit closer. Because if you see, just before the whole uh, uh, throwing the pearls in front of the pigs, he's actually talking about not judging, the previous passage before that, how we shouldn't be judging one another. But then if you look just before that, he's talking about not worrying about the worries and concerns of the day that the Father has no, knows what you need. If you put all those stories together, a little passage in Matthew together, you see that the Father's saying, hey, listen, don't worry about what you need because I know what you need. I'm going to take care of you. Because when you worry about what you're needing, when you start getting worry-oriented, you start worrying about how my grace is flowing into people's lives and what they're doing with it, you start judging them to control them because you're afraid and worrying. And when you start judging them to control them, then you get worried about what you should and shouldn't be given to them, throwing the good things in front of the Pigs, pigs are neither bad nor good, they're just something that was there, but they didn't understand how good what they had was. A religious system, which ultimately brings death and not life. A general healed because of a little Israeli girl told him to see a prophet who didn't actually want to see him at all, told him to bow in the river seven times, and this man says, hey, there's a God, not just in Amram, but there's a God over the entire earth, and now it comes back and continues into his master's house into a foreign temple for the sake of the kingdom spreading. There are good things the Father gives us, but we're not to judge where those good things go and how they flow. You say, don't throw it in front of the pigs. In other words, you don't have to worry about all the rules and regulations, or what's right and not right, how to do it, not how to do it, what's the right way in this thing. Oh, we try to control everything, and we're putting truth, yes, but we're putting in front of sometimes people who don't fully understand or grasp, and we put them into the bondage of a religious system. Where I grew up, there was a church in our area, and I'm not condemning this church. There were believers, but they, I know there are many stories at that time in this particular church. People would come in, they would get saved in that church, they'd have a conversion experience, if you will, in that church. They would send somebody home with you to go look in your closet to call out any clothes you should and shouldn't be wearing. That's, that's, that's pearls before the swan. 
They're trying to do something. Yeah, I understand what they're trying to do. Yes, you should live whole, uh, a moral life and high values, yes, but you're, you're trying to control it. You're putting a system in place to control where the grace is flowing into people's lives. These youth had some experiences last night. Trance, I don't know about this. Stiff and trance, and I don't know about that. That sounds a bit freaky to me. Be careful not to put a system in place which calls back on the flow of grace in people's lives. They they spin around dancing too much over here. It's a bit wild and crazy to me. Be careful not to put a system in place which which tramples on the life the Father's trying to bring. See, we, 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 uh, when I first came into ministry early on, uh, at the, one of the churches I was a part of, and uh, I was assistant youth pastor there at the time, and they were doing a, a series of revival meetings, three nights, three nights, revival meetings for young people, young people from the ages of uh, about 12 right up to about the early 20s. <clears throat> three nights were supposed to go. We had about 60 young people in the youth group, Figured they'd invite a couple of friends, we'd be, we'd be excited to have 100 people. We had this old church building which we had just bought and renovated. The church building sat about 300, okay? The first night, 300 students showed up. Okay, that's pretty cool. Hurrah, hurrah. Had a cracker night. Second night, 500 students showed up. Wow, pretty amazing. Third night, over 600 students, there were students hanging literally out the window, out the door, sitting along the wall outside in the parking lot, not running around going crazy, sitting, listening, worshiping, engaging. And on that night, when there were 600 plus students there, there was a young lady in the youth group at the time. She had been a year in the wheelchair, a year in a wheelchair. She had gone to Duke Medical Center, which if you know anything about medicine in the U.S., Duke Medical Center, Duke University is one of the top medical centers in the U.S., cutting-edge research. They eventually, after a year of tests and probing and whatever else, they diagnosed she had a circulatory problem because every time she stood up, she would faint and she'd pass out. She had a, a severe circulatory problem, something to do with her veins and her heart combined. They were trying to give her medicine and treating it, but it wasn't working. And she was effectively, over the course of the year, we saw this vibrant, beautiful young lady withering her way in front of us in the wheelchair. On that third night, some friends of hers were out there were worshiping, and worship was off the hook. It's going crazy. It's like a mob saying, down front. It was insane. And during that time, some of her friends said, hey, we need to go get her and bring her. They found a couple of parents. They literally went to her house, got the wheelchair, in the car, to the, church, to, the, to the building. They started wheeling her in. They couldn't fit in the door in the back, in the wheelchair. Could not get her in the door. Eventually, they pushed some kids out the way and pushed her through the thing. And they told her, they said, listen, you just need to dance and you'll be healed. There she is in the wheelchair. She can't even stand. How is she supposed to dance? We were worshiping, didn't know any of this was happening. We were worshiping, you're worshiping. Just dance and you'll be healed. Just dunk yourself in the river seven times. Forget about a religious system. Forget about somebody praying for you. Forget about what's going on. Let the grace of God's life flow through and see what happens. Just dance and you'll be healed, is what her friends told her. She was in the chair. Okay. Eventually she's getting so excited, she just helped me stand up. She stood up. We caught word, however minutes later, they came up to her and said, hey, hey, Trish, she's running around the building outside. She's just been healed. Yeah. That place, the roof, poof, off the roof of that place. We ended up meeting for almost four weeks. The, the church we met in was across the road from the main high school, 1,300 students. It was across the road. 
After about a week and a half of this happening, every night, every night, every night, every night, that was your job. You're just this, just this machine, this thing churning. This God's spirit just moving. Incredible. Saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Salvation after salvation. It was insane. Had never experienced anything like this before. The teachers, after a week and a half, came and met us during the day and said, listen, we don't know what's going on here in this place, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because some of the problem students we have at the school, we're seeing them change in front of our eyes. Grace of God flowing. Grace of God flowing. Grace of God flowing. If we're not careful, though, you let a system, a religious system that's safe and comfortable and polite and orderly and structured and rigid, and it will kill the life the Father's trying to bring. We've got to let him move outside of our systems, outside of what we think is right. Even when it confronts us like Nahum. Even I'll, honestly, I'll be struggling with that. Hey, I'm a believer, it's great, saw healing, miracle, God's the God of the universe. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Hindu temple down the road and worship there tomorrow, okay. I would probably struggle with that, I'll be honest with you. But Elisha said, go in wholeness, because you never know what the Father's doing. You never know. Be careful of this judging thing, trying to control and putting the truths of God before those who aren't ready for it yet. It's amazing, I was reading just this afternoon, <clears throat> I read this thing from, from uh, John Wesley. Everybody know John Wesley? Heard a guy named John Wesley? Incredible revivals in the, early, uh, uh, in the early 1700s. John Wesley said this about some children one time. Uh, 11, April 11th, 1756, Dublin, Ireland. I met about 100 children who are instructed publicly twice a week. Thomas Walsh began some of this months ago, and the fruit of it appears already. What a pity that all our preachers in every place have not the zeal and wisdom to follow his example. Notice he was going to children at the time. In July 30th, 1758, in Cork, UK, I began meeting with the children, because now he's picked up, hey, this guy meets with kids, I'm going to meet with kids. I began meeting with the children in the afternoon, through, uh, though with little hopes of doing them any good. <laughs> he's being honest, right? I don't know if he's going to do anything, but I'll try. But I had not spoken long on our natural state before many of them were in tears, and five or six so affected that they could not refrain from crying, crying out to God. When I began praying, their cries increased so that my voice was soon lost. I've seen no such work among children for 18 or 19 years. Keenan, Keenan, can you go get Jaden, please, from upstairs? Just bring him down. Thanks, buddy. January 17th, 1722 in Hertford. I found the poor children with whom Mr. A kept at school and were, incre uh, were increased to about 30 boys and girls. I went immediately to the girls as soon as I began to speak, some of them burst into tears and their emotion rose higher and higher. But it was kept within bounds until I prayed for them. <laughs> then it went crazy. A cry then arose which spread from one to another till almost all cried aloud for mercy and would not be comforted. But how the scene changed when I went to the boys. They seemed as dead as stones. <laughs> and scarce appeared mind to mind anything that was said. Some of them even could hardly refrain from laughing at me. However, I spoke. Presently, one was cut to the heart, soon after another, and another. In 10 minutes, the far greater part of them were affected as the girls had been. Except in Kingswood, I've not seen such work of God among the children above 30, from almost 30 years. 
What does the Father want to do tonight? You came here expecting a little service, a nice little preach, a little worship, we go home, we go to work tomorrow, everything's cool. What does he really want to do? Are we going to stick with a system tonight? Which great, got some green leaves on it, but it really give us life. Is it wanting to do what God wants to do in terms of the grace flow? From the beginning of this service, you can feel God's moving. He's pushing. He's urging. He's encouraging. He's wanting us to step out more and more and more. And it'd be easy right now to call some people forward and just pray for healing. A nice, good system that we've got, you know? You want healing? Come. And nothing wrong with that. It's going to be wrong, but it's a bit of a system we follow. You come forward. We pray. We go home. Whew, that was a great night. Amen. But there's something about this Nahum story which has grabbed me. It messes my mind up. It didn't conform to the system. It didn't conform to the way things are supposed to work. Jaden, come here, buddy. Now he has no clue what's about to happen, just so you know, okay. I told him I was going to call him down to do something. He said, yeah, okay, I'm good. <laughs> this is Jaden, my boy, he's nine. Jaden, oh, he's 10, sorry, 10, don't eat, sorry. <laughs> you saw that look very quick, didn't you? Hey, Dad, watch it, buddy. Okay. He's 10. Now, Jaden... You've seen gold dust in your hand a few times, eh? And then, and then just this last week, we're talking about hearing God and stepping out in faith, and he's like, I just wish something would happen because I'm just tired of seeing dust in my hands all the time. <laughs> That's why this week he said that. Like, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I thought, what if tonight, and he has no clue we're going to do this, what if tonight you need a prayer for breakthrough? Your prayer for healing. And if a 10-year-old boy who's just tired of seeing gold dust in his hands is willing to pray for you and let's see what God does. I'm tired of playing to a system. I'm tired of playing to a system. Can I ask you to stand?